Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Monday, February 13th. What is behind the alleged Chinese spy balloons violating Canadian and American airspace? And could this be much more of a complex operation than we realize? We discuss the ongoing situation with David Kwan Wei Chen from the Center for Research in Air and Space Law at McGill University. Do you have the skills to defend yourself if needed? We meet one Calgary woman who makes it her business to make sure that you do. Lorna Selig from Safe for Life Self-Defense joins us to talk about the programs offered by her organization and why it's more important now than ever before to learn these skills. And finally, it's our weekly segment aimed at helping you achieve your goals and live your best life. On this edition of Motivational Monday, we speak with author and speaker Connie Jacob, who shares with us her unique advice to reframe your negative thoughts and use them to your advantage. Over the weekend, more alleged Chinese spy balloons violated Canadian and U.S. airspace. What does the international community need to do to hold China accountable for violating international laws and standards? Joining us to talk about it is David Kwanwei Chen, who is the executive director at the Center for Research in Air and Space Law at McGill University. Good morning to you, David. Thanks so much for joining us. Hi, good morning, Sue and Andrew. Appreciate your time. Let's start with what happened over the weekend, David. Can you kind of break it down? What do we know about the latest objects? I know there were plural, shot down on Friday and Saturday. What can you tell us? Yeah, so we know they're object because, um, you know, Minister Anand said, you know, they shut down an object and they can't confirm whether it's a balloon or whether it actually came from China, right? And, And earlier today or yesterday, it was an object that shut down over Lake Huron between the U.S. and Canada border, and that's landed over the lake. But again, they can't confirm where exactly it came from and what kind of object it was. Um, but um, you know, this this is a is, I don't know if it's a coincidence, but it's a series of incursions into Canadian and U.S. airspace, which, as, as you pointed out, is in violation of international law. We are hearing reports, uh, you know, the, David, that. This is perhaps not the not only the first time we've got a few incidents in the past a handful of days, but this may have been going on for quite some time, but has not been either a brought to our attention or b has mm-hmm. not been leaked by governments that they know that this action is taking place. Which is it? Do you think this has been happening a lot longer than the public knows about? Um, it probably has been. I mean, the the I think the U.S. Pentagon actually said um, in the last year or so there's been ten known incursions. Again, they didn't say whether they all came from China, but, you know, I think there have been numerous reports. And several countries, you know, Japan, Taiwan, the Philippines, they've all experienced and seen similar objects floating um, above their airspace, again, in violation of international law and, and also um, their sovereignties. David, what actually is the law when we say violating inter- international law? What does that mean? So, yeah, um, you know, there are the basic international law is every state has sovereignty um, control over its airspace and over its territory, right? So um, if any object from a different country wants to fly over or into um, your airspace, you need to have explicit permission. And obviously, in the case of the balloon that was shot down over North Carolina, there was no permission, right? China admitted that you know it came from China, and they they said their excuse is that you know this was force majeure. We didn't have any control over this object, and they just floated into coincidentally Canadian airspace, U.S. airspace twice. Um, so that is the law, right? You you cannot have any object flying over or into your country. All right. So let's let's talk about you know in these instances, and we're still getting, and we need some information as to what it was shot down yesterday. 
But in the meantime, yeah. when we talk about the Chinese technology, what sorts of sure. surveillance technology can be used in a balloon that couldn't be gleaned from from satellites, for example, or from, you know, uh, you know, uh, mining data when it comes to cell phones? What, what advantages would there be of using a balloon? Yeah, I think I think so. Balloons have been used, as I pointed out in Erica, for you know hundreds of years for, uh, for military and strategic purposes. I think one of the advantages, you know, it seem it may seem quite rudimentary. The technology is quite old, but one of the advantages is that it can float over an object or target uh, for a longer period of time, and it can be stationary above that object for a longer period of time. So obviously, you know, it can collect images as well as they call signal intelligence, you know, communications eavesdrop, listen in into what kind of communications are happening, particularly over, you know, I think Montana, uh, the Montana balloon was fl uh, flying over a military base that had nuclear uh, missiles. So, you know, that is quite concerning. Um, so that's that's one of the major advantages. And again, another thing, uh, as we've seen over the last few days, these objects are hard to detect, as well as hard to intercept, right? You know, the US deployed you know, the, the latest generation of fighter jets, because these balloons, particularly the one in Montana, was at an altitude that normal you know, other uh, generation of fighter jets could not reach. So I think that's, again, another advantage of these high-altitude balloons. David, we're having trouble. We're losing a bit on your on this Skype call, oh. so um, we'll just oh, try to keep yeah. this going. But um, curious, sure. so satellite imagery, the satellites are up there. They're probably getting the same information. What is the difference between what, say, a Chinese government or Chinese spy satellite might glean versus the balloon itself? Yeah, so I mentioned it's, it's the balloon has advantages that it can stay stationary over an object for a longer period of time. You know, a satellite is moving at a very tremendous speed of, above the Earth's orbit. Um, and it's, you know, circulating that object for, uh, every 90 minutes. Because a balloon can stay there for days and weeks um, at a time, right? So it can, um, as you can imagine, collect a lot of what they, what they call signal intelligence, communications, and eavesdrop into what is being, you know, said uh, about uh, what is being communicated in and out of this object. We're speaking with David Kwanwei Chen, Executive Director, Center for Research in Air and Space Law at McGill University. And David, something that, uh, you know, st stuck out that you mentioned was the altitude of these mm. balloons and having to use special fighter jets to reach said altitude. It brings to mind yes. conversations that have been had over the past few years about what uh, I believe it was our former President Donald Trump was saying about the Space Force. Does this signal the next level and the higher altitude sort of espionage that we're going to be in for in, in the coming years? I, I think definitely, you know, this highlights uh, one of the developing trends. Again, it's, it may seem to be a very rudimentary technology using balloons, right? But um, we are seeing increasingly the deployment of such objects at so-called high altitude. Uh, so it's, you know, above commercial airspace, but just be below outer space in this, this intermediate zone where, you know, increasingly we're seeing, um, you know, various uses and advantages, particularly from a strategic point of view. Um, and, and alluding, you, you alluded to the Space Force, I'm not, I'm not sure whether, you know, because Space Force really, their mandate is outer space, right? So anything above Earth's um, orbit or, you know, anywhere in outer space, pretty much. Um, I'm not sure whether that's, uh, that's within the mandate to deal with such uh, threats 
Um, and then we, we've seen Canada and US, you know, use NORAD, the North American Air Defense um, <clears throat> System, to take down these objects. So um, obviously there is um, a collaborative method between particularly the U.S. and Canada and in addressing such threats to Canadian and U.S. airspace. David, curious before we let you go, with all the technology that the U.S. government has, that I'm assuming the Canadian government would have as well, can they not block any signal that would be coming from these balloons back to China if they are in fact belonging to that country? Like, you know, in terms of whatever they might be picking up via cameras or audio or whatever it is, can can we not block that signal to make sure it doesn't actually go anywhere? Um, maybe. Again, you know, um, I, I, th I think the officials are quite tight-lipped about what mm -hmm. they know, and maybe they don't actually know. And that may be one of the reasons why they allow this the, the initial balloon to float over, you know, pretty much the entire continental U.S. before they shot it down. Right? Maybe they were trying to see what, you know, how it can maneuver, what exactly it was trying to seek out, and you know, now they're now now they're fishing for these objects in the sea. And I think uh, over the next com uh, next days or weeks, we will find out what exactly is the technology there. Um, Thanks for your insight, David, on this uh, unfolding story. It seems like we get to mm -hmm. new new sightings o o every couple of days or so. So thank you. We appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you very much for your help. Bye-bye. David Kwanwei Chen, Executive Director, Center for Research in Air and Space Law at McGill University. There are many Can uh, Calgarians out there who have some concerns about their safety of late, particularly for transit users. So do you have the knowledge and the resources to protect and defend yourself should the need arise? Well, to talk about how you might get a little bit better at that is Lorna Selig, owner of Safe for Life Self-Defense. Good morning, Lorna. Thanks for being in. Thanks so much, Sue. It's nice to see you face-to-face -face and talk about this because I think, you know, that face-to-face -face thing is what we encounter out there on the streets. And we're, we're hearing a lot of people just aren't feeling super confident, particularly on transit in the city these days. What kind of advice do you have for folks? Well, so transit is always um, one of those uh, spots, I guess, in our community where um, you are among people that maybe um, may seem risky or feel risky to you, may seem, um, you know, a bit untoward. Not that people who ride transit necessarily are, but sometimes it, you could get the, the creeps from somebody that you might be sitting near, somebody that you might be standing on the platform with. And so, and again, it depends on the time of day or evening that you're riding transit. Um, and so we like to uh, kind of help people to understand that there are some things that you can do. There is some ways that you can protect yourself. And first of form and foremost, quite honestly, I would always suggest that people stand as close to the door as possible. Um, that way, you know, you can, you know, mount your escape if you need to. Um, the other thing that I really recommend is for people to, um, if you are feeling creeped out, if you are getting that ick factor, as we call it, um, move away from whoever it is that might be causing that. Step aside, step back, uh, move towards a group of people potentially, or even someone, oftentimes a female, um, stand beside them and maybe even express your concerns. Can I stand here for a few minutes? Not feeling super safe over there by that person. Mm. So makes sense. Yeah, people want to help people out. Mm -hmm. We're neighborly sure. here. Uh, the concerns on public transit, that is new-ish to the city of Calgary. I think we used to feel safe. But what isn't new 
is, you know, people perhaps not feeling safe. And what isn't new is Safe for Life. Mm -hmm. So tell us about how you got started. Why did you think it was important to to launch Safe for Life? And what do you folks do? Yeah, so thanks for that, Andy. So Safe for Life was actually developed in Calgary by a former uh, Calgary police officer. Her name was Deb DeWald. Um, She developed this program back in the late 90s as a way of um, helping people to get the skills before uh, serious or um, risky or unsafe, dangerous event happened. She expresses that she got tired as a police officer walking into a scenario that could easily and effectively have been prevented before it got to the stage where somebody was badly injured, somebody was hurt, somebody was permanently affected by an incident. And so in 2014, I, uh, I had been working and training with Deb for several years. Um, and in 2014, she came to me and she asked if I wanted to buy the company. And so like any good entrepreneur, I said, um, um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so Safe for Life was born. So we did some rebranding. We did some uh, updating of some of the classes and programs. And so now we teach in schools. We go into community services, um, you know, organizations, church groups. We go into corporate Calgary, huge, huge um, uh, customer of ours. Any of those um, big organizations, law firms, accounting firms, We do a lot of work with property management companies um, because lots of times they ask for a conflict um, management portion of our uh, program. And so we can tie that conflict management piece into the self-defense and personal safety curriculum. And it just makes for a really robust customer service um, kind of program. And of course, Sue, as you know, we always bring in our padded attacker for that experience, mm-hmm. our big blue man that uh, he will take you to the mats, as you well know, Sue. I have done this. I've experienced it myself, and I highly recommend these courses. I don't think those guys or, or gals in those suits get paid enough. I'm just saying. Yeah, you're not <laughs> kidding. And I've taken my kids too, Lorna, and it, they are great programs because of the guy in the blue suit. He is fully padded and protected, and he goes after you totally as does. somebody would do on the street and you go after him in return you kick you punch all the things that you teach in order to get yourself out of a scary situation well and it's so neat because when i we just did a class here uh february 4th every about four ish times a year we do public programs so people who who are just you know random folks in public who don't get connected up with an existing program through their employer or school or whatever they can register for our programs and so we had one on the 4th of february and um there was a, a group of young group of teens in this particular class, and they were kind of in 16, 17. They walked in, and they were, you know, kind of looking around, nervous, shy, apprehensive. And honest to God, they walked out of that class four hours later, six inches taller, heads held high, just, you know, feeling the... Confident. Confident and empowered and just... You know, this this feeling of, I got this, I got this. Mm-hmm. So super empowering. We've got some amazing staff that teach these programs for us. And uh, yeah, love it. Incredible. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, I think that if people don't know about it, they should. And that's safe for, the number four, safeforlife.ca. Thanks for doing what you do, uh, Lorna. I think everybody should take something like this. Appreciate it. Thanks so very much, guys. That is Lorna Selig, owner, Safe for Life Self-Defense.
It's our weekly segment aimed at helping you achieve your goals and live your best life. It is Motivational Monday, and today we're going to get a little motivation to give a damn about the things we want to have and the courage to create them in our lives. Joining us now is Connie Jacob, speaker, author, co-founder of Certified Flourishing Coach. Good morning to you, Connie. Good morning. Thanks for coming in live in studio. It is early, so clearly you are motivated. I am motivated. People motivate me. Good. I love that. Okay, so tell us a little bit about, first of all, about what you do. Well, one of the things that I do is I help parents and educators in workplaces find motivation to make a difference in the areas that they want to make a difference in. Awesome. But when I, I want to get really deep in back, Connie, if we can, because you are living the dream. Uh, you, this is the perfect fit for you in what you do. But you didn't always do this. How did you find out that this was a niche, that people needed this sort of help? And how did it help transform you into the career that you're in right now? I think I've always followed my passion. I'm a dancer and I worked with youth at risk and started to realize that if we want to help youth, we need to help parents. We need to help workplaces. And so my passion of dance led me to youth, which led me to these workplaces and schools. And I feel like if you follow your passion, you follow things that you love, it will lead you to what you are really Mm -hmm. called to do. I totally agree with that. So do you consider yourself sort of a coach first then? I actually struggle with the word coach. Mm. I'd like to say I'm a facilitator of growth. Okay. Because, oh. I, I mean, I, I asked you that because there are so many coaches out there. It's sort of become the buzz word of the day, hasn't it? So, you know, in terms of what you do and how you motivate others, how do you look at that? Well, I feel like a lot of times people, uh, when they feel overwhelmed, you can't be creative and anxious at the same time. Uh, When you're in your, what we call the limbic system of your brain, you're reactive. And so we need a a way to bring people back to their creative brain. And how you do that is honestly through empathy, empathy for yourself, getting in the more, that's what I do at least. I, I walk myself through, what's my resting emotion? What am I feeling right now? What is that thought sound like in my head if it was a sentence what would it sound like and then what are the behaviors i'm noticing that are coming out without judging them i don't want to judge my behaviors i want to just notice them and when i can do that when i can think about what's my resting emotion like for example if i'm worried what does that sound like in my head well it might sound like i can't do this and what's the behavior that comes out well it might be overwhelm which leads to withdrawal Uh, from everything, from people, from my job. And if I can do that, I've made sense of it and I'm bringing myself back to my creative brain where I can actually think about the things that I love to do. That is is, uh, profound to Mm -hmm. me because there are times where, you know, I I, uh, have talked to psychologists before in the past and I, but I, I, I don't think that, I, 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 you know, when, when I take, do takeaways, having a, a great conversation with the psychologist, that's fine. But when I'm by myself and I say, I'm in a bad mood and I don't know why, how can I, is there, is there a switch? I know it's not easy because you make it sound like this is something you've learned and adapted in your life. Is there a switch that I can change my mental focus when I'm, you know, feeling like, oh, something, something's bothering me and I can't put my finger on it? Well, I think it is important to pay attention to that. Oftentimes we go and we do something. And that's good, right? We go work out. Okay. We we go to the bar. We go wherever. And we're <laughs> just trying to get it out. <laughs> but I think it's important to, that's how I coach myself every day. Resting emotion. What does it sound like? What are the behaviors? And what do I, what do I want? I remind myself of what I want. But I have to acknowledge where I'm at first. Okay. 
Acknowledge where you're at first, and then you can lead yourself to what you want. Because people find themselves in the same cycles all the time. Mm -hmm. 12 years later, why am I still here? Why am I still struggling with this? And it's because we haven't taken that acknowledgement step uh, to bring ourselves to the part of our brain where we can be creative. I think that's the hard part these days, right? We're so busy. We're always running around. We don't have time to listen to our kids half the time, let alone ourselves and our own mind and and sit and think, well, what is actually going on in there? But if we don't do that, we're not very useful to anyone else, are we? It's so true. Yeah, it's so true. We have to put our own oxygen mask on first. And Mm -hmm. I master my mornings. That's what I do. I mean, here we are. It's early. Wherever you are in the audience, you're up early. Here we are. And you you master your morning by by allowing yourself rituals that get you into that zone too. I think that's also very important. How, because you've done this for quite some time, Connie, how has your job changed? Because before it would be as an author and a speaker, making sure people read the book or trying to make sure as many people read the book or you're on a stage in front of a crowd. But now we've got social media as well. And we talk, you know, the negatives of social media, but the positives. How has it been a, a positive for you in what you do? I, I love social media for the point that we can spread great messages. You can use it for however you want. But if you can think about how can I share my processes with people in, a, in an appropriate way and motivate people and encourage people. People are lacking encouragement from one another these days. We're so busy. We don't see anyone else but ourselves. And so it's this idea of I'm going to reach beyond myself today and encourage someone else. You know, I'm just looking at your website, ConnieJacob.com, J-A-K-A-B, for folks who are maybe looking online for it. And uh, I see you've got one part there where you touch on the the topic of schools, and your vision is to see 20,000 teachers and half a million students impacted by 2024. What do you mean by that? Why are you going after that demographic? I'm going after schools because there's a crisis right now. Teachers are, are not doing well. And if they're not doing well, our kids aren't doing well. And I have a 16-year-old who's, well, I think he's dropped out of school because he's fallen through the cracks, just been given a diagnosis of autism. And instead of being like, oh, you know, these the, the schools, they need to shape up. I'm going to, I just want to help them. I've been working in schools for the last 25 years doing uh, my mental health and resilience. And I've seen the decline and there's opportunity. Wherever there's a decline, wherever there's a problem, there's an opportunity And I have strengths to lend. And so uh, we're coming in. We work with a psychologist, Dr. Wayne Hammond. We're coming in with solutions to help them because that's what they really need. They need to know that we are there as their community to uplift them and hold them up. Wow. And it's interesting because I think a lot of parents outside looking in or those people in the community say, well, these teachers, they only work 10 months of the year. They have it easy. Uh, But being in the trenches Mm. and maybe not having the support as far as resources, that's got to take a toll on our, uh, you know, educators. Oh, it really is. Right now, so many of them are leaving the profession and they're not leaving because they want to. They're leaving just because they don't they don't have the tools. They they really do need the, the wraparound support right now. You have a book out as well. Let us know about the book and how, you know, that will help to inspire people too. You're kind of all over the place. So you're multifaceted, (laughs) Connie Jacob. Well, you know, I'm not easily bored. That's for sure. (laughs) That's good. I actually have two. The first one is uh, Bring Them Closer, which was for parents, which was the story of our mental health journey with our son. And I've revamped that into Bring Them Closer Now for Teachers. How does a teacher bring kids like my son closer? I've watched kids you know, drug addiction, all kinds of uh, at-risk behaviors fall through the cracks. How do we reach those kids? And so 
I've written a book for teachers, how they do that. Brilliant. That's fantastic. Absolutely. You know, as far as, you know, starting with our kids, mm-hmm. I think any parent would say, oh, and it like the takes a village example. We could use everybody on deck to make sure that we grow some good adults and, uh, you know, are proud of what they do and they're proud of themselves. I've got ConnieJacob.com, J-A-K-A-B.com. That's where people can go. That's where people can go. Can Absolutely you Can awesome. you leave them with one quick tip of for motivation today? Well, one motivation I'd love to leave everyone with is uh, the story that you've lived with doesn't have to be the story you continue with. And so we always have things that we can control in our lives. And those three, those three steps of how I coach myself every day, what's your resting emotion? What does it sound like in your head? What are the behaviors? Noticing that. Watch what happens if you do that for a week. Incredible message. Thanks so much for getting up with us, uh, bright and early, Connie. That was fun. Connie Jacob, author and speaker. And again, Connie, C-O-N-N-I-E, Jacob, J-A-K-A-B dot com.